Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hannah, this was my favorite Fire and Blood chapter so far. Really? Easily. Yeah. That's really funny because we were standing in the elevator to go read it outside today. Mm-hmm. And I said to you in the elevator, this chapter, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> You're we, like, we were talking about how long it was and how, how much happened in this chapter. And uh, I said, at least we'll have a lot to talk about. And then you said, will we? Or something like that. That was the mid, this was a pretty hefty chapter. Mm-hmm. That's like the mid chapter reading slump, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you want to take a little break. Yeah. We've been reading for two and a half hours. Yeah, nonstop, straight. straight. <laughs> Literally straight. We're halfway through the Vanderpump chapter. Vanderpump rules playing in the background. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> Hannah showed me Love Island last night, but Ooh, we'll man. review that on a, <laughs> on a different to, podcast. Yeah, we need to get our uh, start like your other new trash going. reality TV. Well, when are you going to start that Bachelor podcast? Never, because I'm I'm out the Bachelor franchise. What since uh, Chris Christensen left, you're you're done. That's his name, right? The main guy, the host. Oh, um, yeah. What is his name? Why did I Chris pre- Christensen? No, it's not. I'm pretty sure. Why can't I remember his name? Chris you've Harrison. You Chris Harrison, because you're memorizing. The 14 movements of Jaharis right. and Alison, their Quiz triumphs me. and tragedies. <laughs> Quiz me. Okay. What's Alaric <laughs> no, Stark's daughter's qu- name? Alaris? Yeah. Alara. Alaris is different. Everyone can find That's me. the Sphinx. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was close. I was close than I thought I was going to be. I love this chapter. I was moved emotionally at the end of the chapter. I felt like George R. R. Martin was so aware of what he was doing mm-hmm. to us very specifically. And it made me so excited to review. I've been feeling good about reading Fire and Blood chapter by chapter, for sure, on the podcast. It's just a fun way, as you know, to like book club it with each other instead of just reading through it on your own. And the, those moments that you that you go through, moments like this at the end of this chapter, when he finishes it with and winners and winner is coming or and winner was coming, uh-huh. uh, they just kind of like add up. It's right. like when you finish Veramir's uh, ep- uh, prologue, you're just like, what? Mm-hmm. And then there's all there's the rest of the book and right. the characters and the moments. So that that weight kind of like wears off, but talking about it like this, um, I don't know, just really felt it in that moment. I was really happy to record right after we finished reading. We also were sitting at sunset in a park. Yeah, true. That it helped a little bit. Beautiful. That helped a little bit. Yeah, there was no <laughs> the humidity and the weather was, felt amazing. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much perfect for the be hit with a winter is coming line. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. God, it's too heavy. I, I can't apply that. No. There's a lot of circular stuff in here, especially with Raina. I was just like, all right, but what's the end look like for me and everyone else that I know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My <sighs> tune has changed from the mid-read slump when we were heading outside in the it. elevator. I agree with you. I think that there was a lot of really great character arcs in this chapter. We learned so much. Specifically, I feel like we learned so much about Good Queen Alley in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I felt really felt for her a lot through this read today and so between her Reina everything that happened with Arya Arya that (laughs) is Arya kind of of. (laughs) everything that happened with Arya and Valerion I can't wait to talk to you about their journey absolutely nuts so I felt like we got some pretty strong character development we got a really we um as we came to the end of the chapter because you finished a little bit before me and you were like 
I had just a couple of paragraphs left, and you were like, the last paragraphs are basically just about how hot King <laughs> yeah, J. Harris like, you're about is. You're to find out how hot J. Harris <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> so we got some development there. He gets under, he's he's a grown man now, you know? Yeah, tw- that's 4 and 20, which mm-hmm. is basically like 46. Exactly, back then. Yeah. Because Raina was 50 when she passed, which was, she was a, a woman old. Yeah, witchy. Gray hair. Yeah, oh, white gray, white hair. hair. So that was yeah. the visuals in this. There's so much great horror visual in this mm-hmm. chapter. Also, so much beauty visual in this chapter. And I, I don't know. Like I said, I felt so warm by the end, and not warm because of just the concept of of their personal arc sort of coming together after a decade of rule. A lot of these earlier characters that were a part of the drama. And the changing of the guard from the last leaders and them coming back and celebrating with a clean plate and mm-hmm. there being new ideas that were already set in motion that were there to help people. Like the, the problems were less keeping the riffraff out and dealing with the people that were revolting from before. Right. There were, how do we continue this good stuff and continue this goodwill? It's like none of, none of the people that are alive now really saw a benefit in being angry at each other anymore and that feels good mm-hmm. sure and being at sunset and the weather feeling great feels good too <laughs> but there was this embrace of the way that it was written it was just so self-aware and how important it was and it just feels cool to have a uh a art being feeling like it's personal like it's being Definitely. directly written for a specific reason and uh for that reason for for the person who's making the art to know that i'm making that i'm Making something that you're going to like always feels cool, mm-hmm. you know, instead of it being a lot of stuff is cold and kind of uh, like uh, like de- a description of a castle battlement or something can be beautiful. And, and you can find a way to make that feel personal, but it's almost like you, you toe the line of cheesy whenever you're summing stuff up in this sort of history book sort of way because you have to get through it quickly. You're not really like patiently describing it. Definitely. So it's like the end of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time when all the townsfolk and people that you've met along your journey are like dancing around these colored bonfires. Mm-hmm. But you just beat the big bad boss. Or the end of the uh, Forbidden Journey ride at oh, yeah. the Harry Potter world. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come back anytime. He goes through such a quick like – Next, 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 next. Exactly. Big plot point, right. and then you get the the celebration at the end. Right. I don't know anything about um what you were just. What? Just imagine it. It's all the people that you meet along the way are like they're celebrating because you just beat the bad guy. Yeah. So it's kind of cathartic because you just went through something really hard, but we didn't really go through something really hard because it was just a chapter, it was just know, a few but, hours of reading. But the chapter before this chapter was much heavier, and so I feel like the, sure. the levity. I mean, this chapter was called Triumphs and Tragedies. And so there were some, There's some bad shit, low moments sure. or some, you know, dark and mysterious moments. But compared to the last chapter where it was just, I can't remember, birth, death, and betrayal. and betrayal. It was just struggle after struggle after struggle in the last chapter. And For this sure. one, we felt like we really got to celebrate, as this name suggests, some of the triumphs. And some of the good things that Jaharis is able to actually accomplish. Now that he's able to stretch his legs and he's, what, 10 years into the rain? And so he's got his feet under him. He's a man now. He's got the cutest little kids who are obsessed with each other. And they are going through all the laws to make things right. And the boring stuff. They're like, bring back. I was going to be like, let's bring back people that are trying to revolt. So you can fly, <laughs> you can fly over them and breathe fire at them. That sounds fun. But they talk the about homework, how oof. they talk about how 
things were so much more prosperous because there weren't these uprisings or I these men that. going That's to the war. Of the chapter. Yeah, they yeah. were they had the ability to work their fields and to hone their craft and to do all of these things in order to essentially boost the economy. Yeah, like if they're able to I I quoted so many like I copy and pasted so many passages that I wanted to read but um especially around that time with fewer let me have to move my computer my eyes are terrible with fewer men marching off to war more remained to work the land grain prices fell steadily throughout his reign as more acres came under the plow fish became notably cheaper even for common men as the fishing villages along the coast grew more prosper prosperous and more boats put to sea new orchards were planted everywhere from the reach to the neck lamb and mutton became more plentiful and wool finer as shepherds increased i thought about our clothes and how fashion has changed so much obviously <laughs> wool finer as shepherds increased the size of their flocks trade increased tenfold despite the vicissitudes of wind weather and wars and the disruptions they caused from time to time the crafts flourished as well furriers and blacksmiths. furries I think it says farriers, but I'm going to say furriers. People yeah. that's so Listen, cool. you don't get furries unless you have prosperity. It's so true. A thousand percent. It's so true. You don't get them. They use litter boxes in their hotel rooms, and that's elective. It's so and we're true. Like, and the, the Sheraton is like, listen, they book this place out 95% capacity uh-huh. every year. We can't say no. They bring so much business to the city of, what was it, in Ohio? That small Ohio town I, that like they do like a furry march every yeah, year. It was in that documentary. Yeah, They're like, yeah. you guys blow up this town yeah. all the time. <laughs> but you don't get that unless you have prosperity. Furries and blacksmiths, stonemasons, carpenters, millers, tanners, weavers, felters, dyers, brooders, vintners, which are people who make wine. I had to look that up. Vintners, goldsmiths, and silversmiths. If you're a goldsmith, why not just smith silver? Mm-hmm. Bakers, butchers, and cheesemakers. I had two different kinds of cheese today. I'm very grateful. We've had the pros- the prosperity for cheesemongers to be involved in many local grocery stores. And cheesemakers all enjoyed a prosperity hitherto unknown west of the narrow sea. Well, there was a wow. couple points in the chapter. So Fun. he says the first paragraph kind of opens and talks about this prosperity, which you described. And it says, Sefton Barth writes, it's a poor king who wages battle against his own lords and leaves his own kingdom burned, bloody, and strewn with corpses. His grace was a wiser man than that. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of points in this chapter where we see Jaehaerys in hard contrast to Reyna making choices to instead of pitting his people against each other, trying to foster more goodwill that then allowed for this flourishness and this ability to prosper. And so I think that it was fun and cool to see the good parts of Westeros and to kind of take a reprieve, it feels like, especially what we're about to encounter with the greens and the blacks Mm -hmm. and everything that we're going to be seeing in House of the Dragon, and all the drama that has really led to this point, it felt like this was a chance to breathe. And so, you know, you're reading about all of these things that they're able to enjoy and to do. And so this it was pretty. And it says there was another part. I keep skipping around, but it's like at the end of the next paragraph from the paragraph you read, it says, when men look back today upon the conciliator's reign, it is easy to mistake it for one long, green, and gentle summer. The good years are twice as good as the bad years are bad. 
Yeah, I li- I really like that. Goodyear's being twice as good as the bad. We're bad. That's it's it goes back to remember our early sort of uh what's the word? When you don't really buy into something. Skepticism? Yeah. We're like, oh yeah, Jaharis and Ali, everyone's favorite. You were so skeptical. <laughs> you were such a hater. I was kinda too because we didn't get it. Well, you you try to keep your head straight on the uh like a sent through the book in podcast form. Like it's, it's one thing if you're reading this book chapter by chapter, but it's another, if you're someone that has been exposed to the lore, like if you're a big song of ice and fire fan, you already know about these characters or a lot of them. And cause the scaffolding has been there through world of ice and fire, but also just the fandom, like trading tales and the, and the, the threads of Reddit or on a, Westeros.org. Yeah, well, well, there'll be like mentions in some story that someone's saying, like outside of River Run in some book. And then all of a sudden, like we have like fan art and uh-huh. shipping principles and practices. And there's just like a lot of fervor about it. Like Dark Star, for example, has so little. There's so little. We have so little Gerald. Dark Star. Gerald, you talking about Gerald? Yeah, I call him Gerald. And, and yet we have so such a deep, the iceberg of Dark Star goes so deep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's easy to be a little skeptical, I think, because I have this thing where I hear a lot of people that I know or I see a lot of people that I don't know write about stuff and they're like shipping things or getting really excited in some fanny sort of way. And I'm just like, I don't like that now. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> that, that means I don't like that. But it's so it was so patiently described and it, it makes so much sense. And with the, the way that sort of uh, Reina is to the trio as Visenya was, it's so clear how even Aegon and... And Rainey's couldn't couldn't do what Jaharis and Alison are doing it. Maybe maybe it's not fair to compare because they were doing the conquest itself. But um, uh, oh well, it just for the, I mean, further along in history, less to deal with. They're the reason why we have so much more nice stuff in Westeros, and I, I like how it was laid out, and I like showing other people. You might have that. Um, like sneaking suspicion in your head, but that that that's how things get better over time. But until you really engage with history and read it and understand it or hear people smarter than you talk about it or read it in a book like this, like when I was young and reading a lot of fantasy books, this is how I learned a lot about the world because it was more interesting to me than reading history, for example. So it was laid out in this way um, very conveniently, uh, sort of summed up just to be artistic, not having to pour through you know, histories or like stories about what chips had to fall in certain directions for World War One and World War Two to begin. But it, that is interesting for a lot of people. But when a book is written well that involves these these uh, balancing of powers and these different uh, like commonwealths versus each other, we didn't get that much between uh, uh, Pintos and Tyrosh necessarily. But um, if, the, if, if we were to go deeper into those conversations, like say if it was being adapted for television, then we would like get in a story form, explain to us something that would be kind of boring to read through history. What were you going to say? A lot of, as we know, George's writing is based off history itself as well. So it makes sense that you would draw some of the same lessons and conclusions from Yeah, his- what, what else is he going to base it off of? Because when he gives us his imagination, it snakes with hands with faces. Oh my, I know. <laughs> I know. Dude. I don't know how historically accurate that. Uh, I don't know anything, but I mean, ask, that was ask him, nuts, dude. Listen, the the horror. I'm realizing more and more because of uh, 
just reading stuff that smarter people have been saying than me and then uh, connecting the dots. But something really clicked when I saw a not live action, but a sort of like non. Um, I, I'm going to bring up Ocarina of Time again, a game released in 1996 uh, in 64 uh, bit color, you know, it, in made an animation that could fit on a game cartridge, you know, so that everyone could buy the store and everyone could play on their little plastic unit. I'm, what I'm trying to say was they did a great job with it, but the technology wasn't there to make it super visceral or super high-end like stuff today, right? So it was like, uh, and it was also geared for kids. So it's like cartoony and nice, but a lot of really scary stuff happens in that video game. There's a lot of weirdly horrific bad guys, not just zombies, but like bad bad guys that like... Uh, their head is split. There's this guy whose his head is split open, and uh, his eye is like the inside of the spinal cord, like coming out Ugh, through a split. And the yeah. head's like kind of like a sort of like bug like, and his hands are disconnected off his wrists, and yeah. they float. And uh, you fight him on top of this like ethereal drum, and he's his name's Bongo Bongo, <laughs> <laughs> and he like drums the drums uh-huh. with his like uh, you know the hands that aren't even attached to his just absolutely destroyed corpse i'll show you i'll show you to you after we record but it's it's uh and there's so there's four images i saw that um i've been going viral online and it really shows how it really made me understand more how like um there's another picture i saw where link was like on the ground by a dead body of of the skull kid that's in the forest and he was surrounded by all these just really terrible bad guys like over him like they were like his demons it was an artistic representation of something in the story and it made me really think about the hor- the horror in uh, these things that I love so much that mm-hmm. like it make them feel more real, mm-hmm. like more. I don't know, just for some reason, just uh, I don't I don't know what it is. I, I haven't. I'm not. I I don't. I need to talk to someone that's smarter than me to be able to like really break it down and understand. But that was the, those moments, like when we were so engaged with uh, the the birth scene from the last chapter. Like, there's something about these. I I really like the beautiful stuff too. It was a great quote in here that i'm going to read if i can find about how at the celebration the 10-year celebration at the end where they finally had that turning that red wine brought up um that the leaves were turning russet and gold and that the women were wearing dresses of the same color to match yeah. them yeah there's beautiful stuff like that but there's uh, and i love that too and i my brain connects to that and feels something for that too and it moves me also but you know like uh bongo bongo or uh or the what was happening inside of area, and I'm going to try to I'm the, going to that, that stuff part sticks to you, so I can I can read that. I think that I don't know why it's good. But well, it's it makes good. me think about season one of Game of Thrones versus or season two more spooky versus near the end. When I think the about Night King had a face. Well, yeah, but think about Joffrey, like the Purple Wedding, how it was very swords and shields and banners and kind of. Knights and ladies, Heraldry. yeah. Versus, I can't think of a specific example, but a couple seasons later, when we're, you know, the Night King smirking, yeah, or something like Sansa and Theon running through the woods, you yeah. know, way more visceral. What do you like better, the the heraldry or the running through the woods? I think it's <laughs> nice to have. The, and I, I, I talk about that all the time. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. You have so many formative uh, <laughs> moments watching that stuff. I really, get it. I know I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite scene, probably in all of Game of Thrones. But um, 
I just I think that the fact that we can like get you a man who can give you both, you know, I think that George does a really good. Oh, that's a good way to put it. You do want that out of a man, right? Women do big time. Wow, yeah. So I think that George does a really good um, job of balancing between these horrific things that are just part of the world while also giving you the swords and the shields that you want. I mean, we got attorney in this chapter where two women knights get to fight each other. And I don't think it was a a knight, though. It was a wildling, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, I can't remember. Anyway. I think it was a wildling that John Quill fought at White Harbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry. My bad. Don't don't need to apologize to me. Get it right. (laughs) Right. Anyway. I mean, she fought like a knight, right? It was at the tourney, basically, is what I was trying to say. Yeah. But... Listen, I just read this chapter. I dare you to say something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I remember half of it. Can we talk? I know that I feel like we're moving in this direction, but I feel like we should talk about Arya's areas. I'm going to keep doing that this whole chapter. I want to talk about Arya's whole arc in this chapter because a lot of this chapter was dedicated to finding her and thinking about her. And then we finally get her kind of halfway through her return. And so there's a ton of resources that are put towards instead of searching for the dragon eggs, which we do touch on in the oh chapter. Oh my God, yeah. What a great exchange. Oh, dude, I want to talk about Alyssa Farm. It's I know. so bad. But a lot of resources are so put bad. towards finding area because we, Rainey's leaves and we don't see her for a year, essentially. And so Jaharis sends out all of these different resources. There are rumors spreading around and fires and strange things happening and you know nothing is really going on and then we finally get this moment where Balerion is back and the I felt like the description of that was so awesome because everyone's just kind of going about their day they're oh we've I got quoted the that I would read it read men it. of the city watch inspecting everything um Ringo draws <laughs> Rego draws entertaining a young lady of negotiable virtue <laughs> in his main manse. Manse, yeah. Below the dragon pit. All of them would long remember what they were doing when they heard the blast of a horn ringing through the morning air. The sound of it rained down like my Oh, the sound of it ran down my spine like a cold knife, the queen would later say, though I could not have said why. In a lonely watchtower overlooking the waters of Blackwater Bay, a guard had glimpsed dark wings in the distance. And sounded the alarm. Alarum. He sounded the horn again as the wings grew larger, and a third time when he saw the dragon plain black against the clouds, Valerian had returned to King's Landing. It had been long years since the black dread had been seen in the skies above the city, and the sight filled many of the King's Lander with dread, wondering if somehow Magor the Cruel had returned from beyond the grave to mount him once again. Someone wearing Magor's armor. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Alas, the rider clinging to his neck was not a dead king, but a dying child. Even those who had known her best during her years at court scarce recognized the girl. And she basically falls off. They haven't seen her, heard from her, anything. And there's a lot of really interesting discussion about where she may have been. Yeah. Which, you know, but they find her and she's dying and her hair is tangled and matted, her limbs as thin as sticks. Please, she cried to the knights and squires as serving men who had seen her descend then. As they came rushing toward her, she said, I never, and then collapsed. She's brought to be taken care of. Everybody sends everybody away. They don't let anybody see her. Yeah, it was Benifer. He was like, you guys can't come in here. You don't want to see what's happening. And then he doesn't write about it, which I thought that was such an interesting point of this chapter. And George does this throughout Fire and Blood, which I think is really cool, is showing these different 
history books, essentially, like what different people have said about the same event, which we get heavier in later chapters. But we get Septon Barth and Benefer's and Grand Maester Benefer's perspective on this. And essentially, we get nothing from Benefer. He just doesn't write about it. He's this really pro- prolific writer and he always has a lot to say, but he is quiet. And so you read that at first and it's like, interesting. Like, this is such a big moment. Why didn't he say anything? And then you get to Septon Barth's recounting of what goes down with area and you understand why maybe he just wasn't able to write it down what do you think he didn't write it i think that he just felt horrified by some of the things that he saw we see these descriptions from septon barth talking about so they basically surmise that she was in uh, in valeria and that Balerion took her there because it's the only other place he really knew about and she wasn't skilled enough to be able to control him wherever she had wanted to go. And from her come these demons, essentially, that you <laughs> were describing these snakes with faces and or hands. snakes with hands and, and worms faces. with faces. And she's essentially boiling from the inside and her eyes pop out like eggs. They, they blow up. They blow up. Yeah, they got hot. And there's so much dark magic, I think, that they presume were part of what she endured. And so I think that for some people, you know, this has got to be a difficult thing to <laughs> capture. Yeah, and I, I mean, would say so. Yeah, I mean, and even like Septon Barth never talks about it again. And his writings stay sealed away and nobody really understands what's like happening. Like years, they said. Yeah, and so. Which I is can, a long time. I was imagining people ferreting around the castles and all the stuff. And it really had to get, like something gets is going to get read. In like a hundred years, right? A hundred years? Some Someone's going to read it. Maybe it was, but you no. know, some sealed up, yeah, thing, yeah, hard to say. Put away but. pretty well. I have a feeling that Benefer didn't write it because he didn't want to, because he's a, he's a maester, you know? He's a maester. He's into this kind of stuff. And I think that learning more about the world would be useful for scientists like him to learn more about the to continue to learn more about the world to apply to things that they know and maybe they can get a trip funded or somehow and like <laughs> find a way to stay uh, protected and I, mean, I don't know just try to discover more about this place and and like what really exists in this world but a lot at the same time like people are really scared of things like ghouls and ghosts and they believe that curses and and healing pools and stuff still work so maybe they would be too scared to get involved with it. Or maybe it just it's so obvious to them that something like this does exist. I think you said it great when you said there were it was like a demon or demons inside of someone. Because I think that it's sort of a whenever we are told myths or folklore, um, things are often uh, turned into a figure of the truth that has happened. And the truth that has happened in this situation uh, is something that, can be explained potentially by where it came from, um, even though that we don't really have like a firsthand account I was of say, it. We it's just a have, mysterious place. Yeah, but we still get it though. It's like, oh, okay, like they. De- it's like the the dwarves of Moria and the the Balrog that's in in uh, the mines of Moria. It's like they 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 delve too greedily, too deeply, and uh, they found something in there. And they, in the case of uh, the doom being brought onto the Valyrians, they. Uh, I don't know. It seems like they were sort of uh, unchecked. Like they're making chimeras. Like they're blending the genetic material of different organisms. It's another version of, or another uh, result of that prosperity that Jaehaerys and Alexander are talking about. 
and unchecked for a really long time. Like there's all these like old uh, folklore and uh, historical like uh, suspicions. And what was that word I asked you to tell me again? Not skepticism, but th- it's the one where you're like paranoid about something happening. I guess just like paranoid that that things that are unchecked like that, like unchecked prosperity um, without some kind of natural balance. And I think that nature can't really exist without natural balance. That's why it's called natural balance. But then you see like things like Ramsey Bolton happen for as long as they did. And you're like, how does that keep happening without something coming into check and stopping it? Like how, how does an asteroid not just hit the earth if, uh, if there's going to be a, a an empire of if some planet is ruled by like an evil force that has turned the whole the whole entire planet into like what Mordor was from Lord of the Rings like blackened landscape of like how does what what would Middle Earth be like if Sauron and and Sauron like won and made it all the way to the Shire and destroyed all the greenery and all the the songs and all the the games and all the dancing like could it really happen and if it did like what would be the what would be the natural thing that that corrected it? Well, I think that deep down somewhere in, in all of this, I think we're supposed to sort of th- like know that that's what the doom was mm-hmm. for the Valyrians, right? Right. And so it's like it's we're we're in Planetos and we don't quite know what's like how much of the air quotes magic stuff is real, but obviously some of it is. And so if we were to be if we were to try to be skeptics and say that it's all explainable in some realistic manual way, then you could look for another reason why this might be happening. You could say that these, this is some kind of a, a parasite, you know, a collection of parasites, like a, a, a hyper reproducing parasite that was, you know, just exists in a place that no one goes and that's geologically separated from everyone or sorry, geographically separated from everyone. And I guess geologically too, because no other places have been a part of a seismic event or whatever exactly the doom of Valeria was to cancel out anyone from continuing to live there. And another kind of prosperity exists where like little creatures can go thriving exactly. as long as they want. Yeah. It's like you could try it. It's, I, I like a song of ice and fire because there's this cool balance between that practical manual point of view and then there's the magical stuff where these it's like this but they're also like little demon dragon worms yeah, yeah. you know and like demons like might sci-fi be real element yes gets pulled in but there's never there's never really like good sci-fi in medieval stuff mm-hmm. like this you know it's like there's when you think of like king arthur and, and the, the lady of the lake and, and like this like folklore tales that are mixed into the sort of aesthetic that we're all that we're all aware of they uh or the green knight for example which i thought did a really good job it's it's uh it's like on the edge of uh the the sort of uh aesthetic you know the blue velvet hanging from the wall it's just right there on the edge of the aesthetic and everything matches but this is like a this is like a step so much further and uh, I think we're just like the stuff that we know about, like how the werewoods work and um, Valor and what Melisandre is doing. I feel like it's just on the very edge of uh, the, like how deep it really goes. And moments like this are like, it's like we just got so much more than we ever really get. And I was so, when I first read this, I don't remember when. I was like, oh, I know where Valerian went with with her. I know where they went. I know where they went for her to come back like this. Like, what a fucking what a fucking card down in the card game. Boom! This is what happened. She came back with demons inside of her, writhing and wanting to burst out of her body. Her skin as hot as boiling water. 
and 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 also it's isn't it so interesting to know at that point you know i bet a lot of people weren't thinking about it but balerion was like the last living creature on the planet i was just about to read that line go ahead he is mayhaps the only living creature in the world that knew valeria before the doom and that is where he took the poor doomed child clinging to its back if she went willingly i would be most surprised but she had neither the knowledge nor the force of will to turn him what befell her on Valeria, I cannot surmise. Judging from the condition in which she returned to us, I do not even care to contemplate it. The Valerians were more than dragon lords. They practiced blood magic and other dark arts as well, delving deep into the earth for secrets best left buried and twisting the flesh of beasts and men to fashion monstrous and unnatural chimeras. Chimeras, yeah. Chimeras. For the sins of the gods and their wrath struck them down. Like you were saying, Valeria is accursed, all men agree. And even the boldest sailor steers well clear of the smoking bones. But we would be mistaken to believe that nothing lives there now. The things we found inside Area Targaryen live there now. I would submit along with such other horrors as we cannot even begin to imagine. I have written here at length of how the princess died, but there is something else, something even more frightening that requires a mention. Valerian had wounds as well. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And they talk about, you know, everything that was up with him as well, and kind of how messed up things have to be if a dragon such as him. Oh yeah, he, he was be. like scarred and, and mm-hmm. bleeding. Old new wounds scars. Too. Yeah, yeah. That that they hadn't remembered before, and so. Which is like, if some can hurt Valerian, what the f- what is there? Well, exactly. And one <laughs> thing that I feel bummed out about is. Septon Barth talks about, I pray I shall soon forget, way earlier in the description, I pray I shall soon forget some of the things she whispered through her cracked and bleeding Ooh. lips. I cannot forget how off she begged for death. Yeah. And it makes me wonder Poor if, again. you know, at, in her delirium, as she is boiling from the inside out, what she may have said that may be related to some of this darkness that is in Valyria now that she was able to witness and to see and it just wasn't something that was saved for the future. I mean, I don't know, the 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 other side of prosperity, you know, the other side of niceness, just twisting chaos and hell. How wild. The anger behind a knife being stabbed in your back, but but alive in the world and living in a natural form. You and know. back in our presence. I mean, how wild that she returned for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Back in our presence. That's fucking crazy. We get somebody Jesus. who was there and who saw it and who witnessed it. And we don't get to talk to her, but we get to kind of like feel the vibe. And so I wonder why she returned or how she returned or kind of what brought that about. But, yeah. Um, you know, that's something I, don't, I, I didn't think about that. That's really interesting. The way I was thinking about uh, about Aria and uh, the way this was could sort of be like... Uh, analogizing to a different story would be a, a fatherless child a mom that never paid her any attention that is really mean that took her out of a place that she wanted to be not that that's necessary i mean she was a royal and didn't suffer that much but let's just put it in perspective of how angry she was very angry it's like it's she like was a teenager it's like she too. went off and started doing heroin basically right. and got pulled into the 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 depths of hell and uh didn't make it out alive, but I don't know the significance of coming back at the last second and yeah. being brought by the old legendary, uh, like vehicle or, uh, you know, way, uh, like something that connected you deep into your family. I don't really know where that would connect to that analogy, but how did yeah. he escape? I bet he sensed something because you would think that like Valerian was getting injured. So why would he then continue to be there if he was injured and hurt and she was dying? 
She had to gotten bitten by something that was able yeah. to fester for a while. Or, exactly. I don't know how like, it would they were reproduce there. like that so so fast. They were probably there for a significant, I mean, at least a year. She's been gone a year. Yeah. And so she's probably been there a year. But that's such a funny analogy. It's like, uh, you know, you steal your mom's car. Yeah. And I'm going to do it all on my own. Right. I'm just going to go toilet paper somebody's hell, house. Man. Yeah. And then yeah. It's like it's every parent's worst nightmare. Exactly. Like their worst you kind of. You lose control. Because she can't steer Balerion, you understand? Like the power is too, well, it's exactly. too, it's too much for her young mind. It's it's beyond her abilities. And what a swaggy move, though, dude. That's the thing. Pretty swaggy, and way to just say "f you," Reyna. It's and it, it, it's one of the the things that really I don't want to say tamed her, but just crushed her far enough to be like, I'm not going to go kill people anymore, and I'm just going to stay here well, and just listen, be sad. So that so was another thing I wish. wanted to bring up, but she finally. Wait, when are we going to talk about the the blog post? <laughs> At the end, I guess. Okay. I thought we were going to talk about the top. Me I was, too. But I totally got sucked we're in. We're way too deep in. Okay. So. Okay. I don't think we should stop We're going to be now. talking about snow at the end of this episode, everybody. <laughs> yeah, a little snow, teaser. Snow, snow. But we get snow. Raina. So Raina's out basically somewhere else. And they don't know if she's still, we don't know if she's still looking for area or if she just is happy to be alone and kind of living her own life. But she gets word of her daughter's death. And it says it would seem, so she gets there and it's too late. Her daughter's dead and gone and, and um, already been burned. Only ashes and bones remained for her mother when Dreamfire delivered her to the Red Keep. It would seem that I am doomed to always come too late, she said. When the king offered to have the ashes interred on Dragonstone, besides those of King Aegon and the other of dead of House Targaryen, Raina refused. She hated Dragonstone. She reminded his grace. She wanted to fly. And so saying, she took her child's ashes high into the sky on Dreamfire and scattered them upon the winds. It was a melancholy time. Dragonstone was still hers if she wanted it, Jaehaerys told his sister, but Raina refused that as well. There's nothing there for me now but grief and ghosts. And I know we talked a lot last episode, kind of the way that she reacted. And Jaehaerys touches on how she reacted here again when she visits Andro's family a couple times to to look for Arya. And I just, it feels so bad for her, you know? I think that it is such a great example of somebody just trying to do things the way that she thinks is right kind of a lot like somebody a character like Cersei you know who is just trying to like do it the way that she knows how to do it yeah and make her own way and just left and right fails at every turn and so it was such a sad and not totally poetic but kind of I mean she's late again and so it was just like a, a, a sad end to Reina we don't see much of her after this. She never comes back to King's Landing. She never goes back to Dragonstone. She kind of holds herself up in the aptly named Widow's Tower at Harrenhal and lives out the remainder of her. Like She's got like years. 20 years yeah, left. Lives out the remainder of her time there, sometimes going to visit Old Town to see her other kid. But it just made me feel kind of sad because we've been talking about Reyna outside of the podcast, I feel like, uh, this last week quite a bit. And... It just made me feel sad for her. Very sad. And also I love the aesthetic of her being in Harrenhal and maybe being considered a uh, a ghost of some kind. Right. And she even says... One of the OG ghosts of Harrenhal. Right. Allie's like, you know there's ghosts there, right? She's like, they're not mine, so Dude, she's that's, fine. You know that you are like, you don't care what happens to you right. when that's what it is. You're right. like, fine. Would you like four towers? Like, what am I going to do with four 
you can keep I, one. I'll just, I'll, first off, she still took a tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like a whole tower. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> just imagining her on the battlements, you know, and uh, her still giving down the orders for people that are traveling through that are roadworthy and need a place to stay to still get bread and salt and stay there and like maybe catch a glimpse of Reyna Targaryen. Ooh, love the visual there. It is great. Yeah. But, I mean, she did say something pretty hilarious to her brothers. I mean, to her husband's, to Andrew's brother. Oh, yeah. That's one of my owns for the chapter because she just kind of like comes in guns a-blazing still as she's looking for Arya and she flies to the, uh, whatchamacallit? Fair Isle. Fair Isle. I wanted to say Farman, which is not true. Yeah, they weren't They weren't happy that she went back there. Yeah. <laughs> They were like, and if, and if your daughter does show up, we're going to tell her to peace out also. So funny how it started out so nice. Right. but And it didn't, I don't know, just like I had this different vibe of Raina in my head for the longest time. And then she just became, she's, it's, it's like she stopped doing what is better for everyone and herself. And just, she was just like, this is what I want to do. Right. And uh, I don't know, that's not what Jaharis and Alison are doing. I know, but. Raina, I think, was dealt kind of the short end of the stick in some other instances. But that's not to say that Jaharis and Alison haven't also encountered some pretty difficult situations. I think that situations. it's a weird perspective to go, oh, because things aren't that great for us, that we should abandon the building blocks of making stuff better because we're mad. Of I mean, that's really not. the only way to make stuff better. Right. And if you don't do that, then you just turn into a villain. That's totally Jaharis' whole thing. His whole MO is, as Selena Gomez once famously said... Please. Kill him with kindness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand people's anger, and uh, I can relate to the short and the stick very, very personally. And I also just don't relate. I cannot relate with that kind of of uh, of moving forward based on your feelings. If your feelings are making decisions for you like that, then you're disregarding parts of your brain that might actually help things. You know. And uh, I don't know. I think that the end of her life was really poetic. And like I said, very circular in a way that was beautiful. And uh, that was only just one of the things that happened in this well, chapter. I was just like say, one thing. There's, anyway, go on. I have a great transition. Oh, please. One of the other poetic, I forgot about those. One of the other poetic <laughs> That's like moments. Five years since I've heard that word <laughs> in a podcast. <laughs> go on. But one of the other very poetic moments is she and Alyssa Farman are, they like, are in the same place. Oh, yeah. And they pass by each yeah. other without knowing. And it's Dude, essentially yeah. written, what a blessing. It was that Raina didn't realize that her old bestie was here in town at the same time. I'm so pumped to talk about this. I'm assuming you're transitioning to Liz Farman. Yeah, exactly. So you can go off. Uh, what do you think about it? I think I just made a perfect transition. I know, but what do you think? I'm not going to be selfish and take stage time. I'm interested to hear what you think about it. I'm not going to just mansplain to you. Well, this is, I pulled in this little chart and I'm like, this is how far she went. No. What do you think? I mean, I'll, I'll just say that it is a, it is a treat to get some direct commentary on Planetos that is canon and not just for us to learn through uh, absorption of the context and sometimes maybe being pointed at directly when people like Lewin or even old Nan, blah, 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 speak directly about what's going on in Planetos. But for this to be canon and for it to be so specific about 
the place and the scale and the shape and what people think about its place among the stars. I mean, th- those kinds of answers are really, really nice to have. And it makes me, I, I, I thought so much about this. I, I thought at one point it would be so great if we had a fire and blood for Potter. Anyway, hmm. just more context like this, like about perhaps the history of, of Hogwarts from the very beginning. That's what like I was. Like Egg and the Conqueror, like when the founders get together. Totally. Like, oh my God, give me that over the, any of the over other Over the John Snow show. Oh shit, the John Snow show. Oh, that's what I was saying the other day when no, we were talking about that. You're right, but we have both, so. <laughs> wow, I can't wait to talk about that at the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the podcast. But I, I totally agree with you. It's just another opportunity to add color to the world and it's so cool she has such this drive well okay two things one she's constantly being chased like they're at her heels this whole thing and we're kind of bouncing between her storyline and the rest of everything that's happening in this chapter and at some point she's talking to the sea whatever sea lord bravos sea lord of bravos and he's like you better leave now like, yeah. just get out and go as fast as you can because I don't want them finding you here in my city. And pretty much the next day they show up um, to to find her. And Jaharis, he's like, I know. What was the name she, like, Alice West, Alice Westhill is mm-hmm. the name she has for himself. And Jaharis is like, I that smells like Alyssa Farman. Which is, I mean, good nose on that. For real good nose on that. Arya Stark would love her. Is what I think about the whole time. Why would Arya love her? Because Arya also wants to see the world and to chart these uncharted territories and to kind of explore these places that men before her have. And so, you know, she, Alyssa. Remember where I haven't gone is where she's trying to go. Exactly. So, exactly. And so Alyssa's like trying to build up a crew and, you know, convince people to go. And she has all this money because she sold the dragon eggs. I'll pay you extra and I need to make sure you won't rape me two months into the voyage. It's exciting. I can physically overpower you, says the rest of the crew. Why should we follow you? Mm-hmm. Great question. Alice Westhill, you got a job on your hands. So she's like really doing interviews. You know what I mean? Like really, really. She she's not doing to. any of them over Zoom. You think so person. much. Uh, I'm, go on. I'm making a bad joke. You think so much about. Well, she has to. Yeah. To follow your bad joke. You think about all of these voyages. What is that story and it is somebody who's listening, and maybe you would The listen. Prince and the Pauper. No. <laughs> this is a book that my dad loves about a ship that in the 1800s that sails basically to Antarctica, I think, and then it gets frozen in, and they're living on the ship for a couple of years because they can't get the ship out of the frozen tundra, essentially, and they basically, like, eat each other, or they kind of have to live together. When you think about going into and, okay you guys love books about people eating each other in the snow i guess so what's another the donner party one? Oh my gosh that was so like, oh my whole gosh. family loves what that what was too. that book called um uh, under no under the banner of heaven that's another book i really <laughs> whatever okay you guys should read that book it's really good anyway not under the banner of heaven that's also a good book that's a different conversation um whatever okay antarctica Antarctica. Sailing. Well, all I was trying to say is that when you are going off to what is seemingly the end of the world, you got to have people behind you that have your back. Otherwise, you're going to get mutineers. Has anyone ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean? You know, or people who 
You gotta, have, you gotta have people on your side. They and gotta so, be on your side. That's why, she, I mean, she... They gotta be able to take it, too. Went through the whole thing. Not so. just willing to go, but are they can they can take it, and they'll have your back. People that are good people, good on the inside. They exist. They're out there. I loved when she was looking for more crew and more ships to build her fleet in Old Town, and I don't know, just the, the amount of money she's throwing around, and also just that... Probably someone just that's that lucid talking about something so uh, stupid is like going to get the attention of who's in charge. And when right. the, those Hightower uh, boys were like, hmm. we're either going to clap her in irons uh, or like we just want to hear this shit for ourselves. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, it may, like, again, it makes it all the way to the king. The king hears about it. They're like, all right, someone not stupid is doing something stupid and they're like, I've never heard about that in Westeros. There's not that many not stupid people here. And uh, they're, they, they, she sounded so not stupid when she was talking to them that they joined. Uh-huh. They were just like, Literally, yeah. We got to be part yeah, of this. Yeah, this is going to, exactly, we got to be part of this. And, oh, man, I just love the thought of her really trying to sail toward the sunset and really trying to find the sunset. And I liked, again, I took so many quotes and uh, I don't know. I feel like it's our conversation or at least my, the stuff that I'm saying doesn't hold a candle to uh, the thoughtfulness that was put into choosing these words right. side by side. And so oftentimes I'll I'll copy and paste stuff when we're going to podcast, but the flow of the conversation just pulls me out of it, of like needing to go hunt and search for it. And so I want to read some of the stuff, but it's too hard to find. I didn't. I don't use Google Docs. Oh, here we go. Alyssa Farman, beautiful thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> That's my note. Alice Wessel did not believe it was. The scant writings, she was talking about uh, the earth being flat. The scant writing she left behind showed that, even as a child, Alyssa Farman was convinced the world was far larger and stranger than Maesters imagined. Not for her, the, machin- the merchant's dream of reaching Ulthos in a shy by sailing west. Hers was a bolder vision. Between Westeros and the far eastern shores of Essos and Ulthos, oh sorry, between, no I was right, in the far eastern shores of Essos and Ulthos, she believed, lay other lands and other seas waiting to be discovered. Another Essos, another Sithereos, another Westeros. Her dreams were full of sundering rivers and windswept plains and towering mountains with their shoulders in the clouds, of green islands verdant in the sun, of strange beasts no man had tamed and queer fruits no man had tasted, of golden cities shining underneath strange stars. Come on. She goes south, too, or something like that. She goes the more southern way, Yeah, it's too, a warmer. The it's beaches. a little bit nicer. Yeah, it's a little bit cooler. <sighs> well, not off, cooler, cooler, but that's, the vibes are cooler. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Talk about the embrace I got from the end of the chapter. Or by the, the russet colors of those women's dresses. I'm sure they were having such a great time. But, uh, you know, this, this again, there's so much of that in this chapter. It's just... I don't know. It's, it's not all these are, are equal. And I feel like in the amount of just like love poured into these chapters, I feel like a lot of love was put into this chapter. Um, also, when uh, when those iron boards sailed to Farwind or Farwind Isle, or the, I mean, as far as they could go, because they were trying to get past the, the, you remember all the, the different creatures that were supposedly in those frozen seas, the Leviathans? The ice dragons that are potentially made of living ice themselves. The icebergs floating in the mist. Why would you want to go that way? But what is that far north? Because you, 
I don't know. I guess it's harder and further to trek north physically past the wall. So it's like, let's just take a ship. But then it gets so bad. Mm -hmm. And so those guys are like, if you keep going west, the seas might just be boiling. Mm -hmm. You might literally get to hell. And you can understand how something like that might be real if we're all supposed to stay here. Or at least this is where we all evolved. Isn't that what happens when you go to space? It's literally absence of existence. Right. When people go in the their uh, their spacecrafts or whenever they they hang out in the International Space Station, et cetera, you know they they're dying. <laughs> they're like they're they're melting away. They're withering away. They're withering away from the life and the the structure that they literally evolved in on a like the gravity that holds us together. That that you formed into being, that your ancestors, that your DNA turned into something, you're going away from that place. And so it's going to be different. And so in stories that there's that, there's that like destination that's outside of the place that we're all doing that thing in, or like in a video game, it's like you'd fall off the Mario Kart map. I know you've done that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Rain Rainbow Road. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you're go it's like, what's down there? Like the void? Well, uh -huh. what's the physical void and how do we have that? Well, the way that you described or way that uh, in this chapter, um, George described the the icy waters and the, all the bad, like the bad guys are because they're nothing is there to hunt them or stop them. And they're able to grow to be like that. But in your brain, it's so uh, right, you know, and, and in harmony that they would be there mm -hmm. that it's like, not only is it dangerous, but there's these insanely dangerous things. There. Or they're bad guys. Cause we just don't know about them yet. You know, mm. Ooh, very yeah. open-minded of me to think about. Yeah, that. No. and maybe like Area ran into some like like weirdly like sentient like, hey, what the hell are you doing here? Sure. Like demon and like dragon things that could talk and shit. And they sure. planted that in her, and they were trying to turn her into something, and they just barely escaped. There's just, I think that the moral of the story is there's just so much to be uncovered and unturned, and to that is a good way to put it have an opportunity and i love that energy layers upon layers always I, totally and i love that that's energy. why snow is gonna be good <laughs> such a stupid idea I, <laughs> <laughs> that's so mean sorry <laughs> i don't really feel that way um <laughs> i like her energy of as a kid, this was interesting and wild to me. And this is something that I daydreamed about. And now I'm going to fulfill my dreams and just do it. And I'm just going to press forward and go find out what is beyond what anybody knows about. And um, Aria, and that's why Aria admired her, because they have a little bit of that same energy. Aria, too, wanted to be part of something bigger or different or wilder. That's why she picked Balerion to, to leave on. And so... Imagine if Aria had gone with Alyssa there. This little duo would have been so cute. Whoa. But. Brandon the Shipwright, someone who was later called Brandon the Shipwright, one of the OG people to ever think about setting his sails all the way or all the way west and seeing what happened, um, never returned. And then Brandon the Burner, his brother, same name, different vibe, burnt the rest of the fleet whenever. I mean, I guess he really liked his brother. Mm -hmm. He didn't come back home. He's like, that's sad. I have this weird suspicion in my brain that he's him and all of his folks settled on a different Westeros. Oh yeah, that yeah. they're all still there. They're just they didn't come back. Right? Wasn't there another group that they talked about? Had was that them that outpost that they went to? Yeah, and that's it's one of the most beautiful to me. I don't know, I, just something so moving about about them going to that island, and then they're like, 
then that, and that is actually the farthest place west in the entire canon of the Song of Ice and Fire. That little snippet is those those Ironmen who went that far. The lonely light, just they they put up a tower. They're like, Jesus Christ, how do we get here? And a, a lot of them stayed there. Mm-hmm. It just the lo- it's out of all this. We have all this history and uh, Planetos is so weird. And uh, there's so many places that we haven't gone, and we want to go all the way that way. And uh, you know that I like maps and these fantasy stories so much. Well, the furthest point west, the place I also want to go and see, is a little dot called the Lonely Light. I know. And that's as far as we got. I know. How cool is that? It's very cool. It's so cool. It's very cool. And, uh, you know, I think that to be able to expand our understanding of, like you're saying, Planetos, both from a historical perspective with this Fire and Blood series, but also just from a area perspective and a physical perspective is a really fun exercise. So definitely a fan of, of Alyssa's um, travels. And I think a lot about we get more of the dragon egg drama. I mean, I oh, don't know yeah. if we can skip to that. Well, but, I think should we mention that Jaharis and Alison like considered flying or Jaharis at least did. And they right. sent ships like, after I catching her. They couldn't her. catch her. Yeah. But there's no place to land. There's mm-hmm. no little... Little spikes they built out of the ocean, like little like pirate watchtowers or anything that they can land on. It's just so beautiful. So great. I really it's like so it. I loved all the planetos that we got. Holy crap. From the dragon eggs, though, what again, my transitions in this episode You're are just it. through the roof. You're hitting it. You're like the dragon eggs. Would have flown dragons to catch the ship. <laughs> Speaking of dragons. Speaking of dragons classic. and dragon eggs. Classic. The dragon eggs that Alyssa sold to sell her right, to buy her yeah, wares. <laughs> Septon Barth. Heading as new hand of the king to Bravos to confront them about the eggs and basically get them back. I thought it was such an amazing exchange. The whole scene was so awesome. Oh yeah. And I thought Got some dialogue. That Not it some was glossed over dialogue. We really I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We don't get a lot of dialogue in this book that much. Like we a get, Cyvas game kinda. Yeah. Like, mm. We get some snippets and some scenes. And long prose of, you know, snippets from like Septon Barth's writings and things like that. But we don't often get back and forth conversation. And so it's kind of fun to be in a very specific scene with them as they're negotiating over these pretty valuable objects. And I just had a lot of fun that with that. That may or may not exist. All right. You don't know he for sure. He plays it so well. But also he basically says that he has them. Right. Which is so funny. You could have just... You know, that, that's so different than what we were talking about earlier. Like his his ability to threaten them with such a specifically dangerous thing is part of the reason why he can be a little bit more selfish in, mm-hmm. in the way that he's communicating. Right. He's like, I've got this covered. Just flashes his dragons a little. Yeah. But, but and, and then homeboy can flash his faceless assassins. Uh-huh. I loved that. I loved so that. So they can both flash it because mm-hmm. they got power. So it's like we're being civil. We all got here for making good decisions. But hey. I can be an asshole. The other guy's like, I can be too. How cool is it that we know enough about Bravos from just our travels in the world for us to know exactly what he's talking about? Hell yeah. It's so, it's, it's, it was, it's really fun. He says, the sea lord said, I admit to nothing. If I was in possession of such, such eggs, however, it could only be because I purchased them <laughs> from a thief. How should that be proved? Has this thief been seized, tried, found guilty? Bravos is a city of laws. Who's the rightful owner of these eggs? Can they show me proof of ownership? His grace can show you proof of dragons that yeah. made the sea lord smile. The veiled threat. 
Stronger than his father, more subtle than his uncle. Subtle than his uncle. Yes, I know what Jaharis can do to us if you choose. Bravosi have a long memory. There are certain things that we might do to your king as well, however. Shall I enumerate? Tell me more. Or do you prefer the threat veiled? (laughs) However, (laughs) please your lordship. There were so many back and forth things. And so, you know, they get to the faceless assassin card here. And then eventually they both win and i loved how they talk about chickens Mm. how they're talking about this as they're not talking about the dragon eggs becoming dragons necessarily if i had three chickens you might understand this concern you know they i thought that was such a really funny way to describe you know we're talking about it without talking about it and septon barth leaves without the without the eggs um you cannot prove otherwise if I did have them, however well, until they hatch their butt stones. Would your king butt be- stones? <laughs> they were butt stones. <laughs> Would your king begrudge me to three pretty stones? Let me offer gold. And without the real bargaining began. And so a lot of people made fun of Septon Barth apparently when he came home because he didn't come back with the dragon egg, but he came back with all of their debts repaid. I mean that's pretty cool. That's a pretty. They get to. They do some pretty unbelievable things with that money, that I feel like um, will go quite a long way to making King's Landing a cool teen hotspot. But I just, I, there's nothing interesting about or uh, I don't have a great metaphor to make other than I just thought that back and forth was fun and good. I don't think you need a metaphor. I agree. I love it. We just had these really powerful conversations about, you know, exploring Planetos and Valyria. And now it's like, I just really liked this piece of dialogue. That's all I have to say. I agree, though. I I liked how the Sea Lord had the power to be like, hey, just forgive their debt, Mm -hmm. bank. Like, hey, I let you be a bank here. <laughs> it's, it's just, I don't know. They're, they're such a high place, high seat of power. Um, so, uh, end of, uh, like, rock steady. You can depend on it. There's not a lot of things you can depend on. But even at this point in the story, hundreds Iron of Bank. years before we are, Iron Bank's still doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Sea Lord's like, yeah, but we were in Bravos, And Bravos, we stick together when it's convenient for us. And so why don't you go ahead and just throw away that piece of paper that's got their log book on it and we'll be fine. Everything's going to be okay. It's a lot of money. Yeah, they it's got to be a lot of money. system out of it. I also yeah, love the, was, I the like water that. thing. Oh, yeah. They that, were like, uh, okay, drink. If you don't agree that we need to invest all this money into good drinking water, here. Drink this. Drink the river water at the meeting and the, the water was left undrunk. You're going <laughs> to have to read this chapter, soon folks. Approved. <laughs> You're going to have to read this. You, gotta, you need to read the squirming demons inside of Aria's body yourself and you need to read about the aqueducts and uh the cisterns that the uh, king's landing is going to use for generations to come and like the the deep wells they're putting outside of the city to pipe uh, that water in from obviously that's all boring shit but but it's not it's not boring yeah it's infrastructure and that might bore some people but if you're reading fire and blood and you're this deep into reading it it's not it's not boring to you it's it's cool to know how this place works for sure definitely worth the extra Definitely worth the extra effort to put all of this into a story for us. And uh, I don't know. It just makes me feel more and more sure that there's a greater plan in design that hasn't unveiled itself yet. And I'm here for it. Even the even the new show, I'm here for that stuff. I'm just, I have a feeling. I just, it's good. I like it. Um, tell it, me more about water pipes, you know? Well, it rules when there is such a richness that we can continue to 
turn over every stone imaginable and it's still like you find said, something these cool. layers that are always there it's like yeah. i really do think that there's something weird about existence itself not just like physical places but existence itself where it, i don't think it, it's like a kaleidoscopic i don't think it's going to end necessarily what a relief it keeps going that, in a weird way what a relief that we are a song of ice and fire people and not you know when harry potter was really big and people had to find another book series to be obsessed with and so they picked like what was that other one about dragons that was out around the similar time? I can't remember the name of it. There was a couple other book series that people were like, oh, well, because I don't like Harry Potter. Or because I didn't get on the quote-unquote ground floor of Harry Potter. Now I'm obsessed with this other weird You Listen, series. I don't know what dragon book you're talking about. But every time you make this point off podcast, you shit on Percy Jackson. Oh, maybe it is <laughs> Percy Jackson. No, it's another that's, one that I'm thinking of. That's godlike, though. That's myth. Perse- yeah, mythology. no, there's another one. Um, it's because this girl I knew in high school was obsessed with it. And she She's thought like, she you was like better Harry- than me. Yeah, you yeah. like Harry Potter, but I like P. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All I'm trying to say is, did I'm you glad fight we... her ever? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Prom. Okay. Um. All I'm trying to say is that I'm glad that we have we picked a book series that's actually really good that has all this opportunity for us to explore. The gods are good is all I have to say. I know. I'm just glad that it's you know it's it hasn't. I mean the the show could suck. <laughs> The new show could suck. Really, I mean, not Hot D, but the new adaptation. I mean, Hot D could suck too, but I doubt it because we're we're getting there. I already like the stuff that it's it's uh, on. standing on. Yeah, I yeah, agree. The 100%. foundation. So, but yeah, not, nothing's perfect. I mean, we really liked one through seven of HP, and uh, wow, Cursed Child. <laughs> every every new thing that's happened, I remember just I've always just like telling you, I'm like. Hey, man, it's going to be okay. Right. They did it for these reasons. Mm-hmm. No, Chris Child <laughs> sent me into a literal spiral. Yeah. And then, uh, and like, they're calling it the eighth book. Like, it's okay. I know, like, that's bad, but they're just trying to get that that extra money. And then you read it, and that whole energy is basically what it was written I on. know. I know. It's like, oh, my God. And please let, you know, these movies be decent. And, you know, for the most part, it's not terrible, but it's, you know, it's, it is definitely a decline. It's easy to say. But no Fire matter how Blood nice wasn't. Fireblood exactly. isn't. And yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. And the way, especially like I said, the way this chapter ended and these moments in the chapter that really, really made me feel that uh, overarching uh, wherewithal and what was being written. Um, that's that's quality that's not not declining. There's other one other kind of point in the chapter before we transition out that I wanted to talk about really briefly is the whole visit to the north. Oh yeah, as well. for sure. Because I feel like I'm not ending the podcast. No, right I know. But, uh, <laughs> I feel like you're trying to talk about. I'm just John telling Snow's you what I'm show. feeling, man. Go on. I loved the sequence in the North, and as I was saying at the top of the podcast, this opportunity that we get. I feel like especially with Allie to see her in her element. She's on this trip by herself, and she charms the historically stubborn. Stark family, and I loved to see her work. And Alaric Stark becomes putty in her hand, and he is wooed by her charms. And I just felt like everything she was able to accomplish based off of this visit to the North, we got to see her rule as her own person while Jaharis is off being nice and trying to help people um, come he, to terms with each other. He stayed at King's Landing and uh, was dealing with the uh, Prince of Pentos and the. The uh, Archon of Tyrosh, they were like, listen, we need to have a, you're like, I just read it. You don't need to tell me. (laughs) Uh, They they needed a place to negotiate actual peace between their kingdoms. And they're like, what better place to do it? 
I love that you can have a venue that's that awesome, like with uh-huh. the king of another major nation. Right. And that lasted half a year, which is insane. And they brought a bunch of a whole bunch of people with them on either side. Kind of reminds me of all the Dornish arriving uh, in that scene with the uh, Tyrion and Bronn and Podrick waiting for uh, Oberyn to come. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? right, right, you know, like right. The Podrick's reading off all their hel- heraldry or whatever. Uh-huh. Like that happened, except for those guys to bring their people to uh, an even shittier King's Landing exactly. at that point. Exactly. And the uh, indecision and disagreements that they had inside of their negotiations with uh, Jaehaerys playing as a like sort of referee for the whole thing uh, was physically the dunk judge of all of it was physically manifested in what happened in the city. Kind of like how Danny up in her pyramid was dealing with the problems with uh, the sons of the harpy, you know, and the nobility of Marine not liking her decisions and wanting her to govern in a different way uh, in the city, like, or like uh, people being outside the walls, for example, all this uh, chaos outside of the, the sort of the Royal chambers. I love that imagery of the city reacting, reverberating, like as an echo. But like it's all sort of saying the same thing. But when these less important people are having to deal with it, it's like their bodies and their vibe that gets put in the way of harm and danger. Not necessarily just like, we disagree (laughs) with our words. And they're like, all right, man, good night. It's kind of like how you would imagine like the secret societies that rule our world are dealing with it. Right, right. And like they're all secretly friends with each other. Like George Bush is friends with uh, Michelle Obama, you Mm -hmm. know, like they go golfing together. But Mm -hmm. like their political parties are so harshly pitted against one another, you know. And it's just like, yikes, but probably true. And I like I just love the way that it was written. But yeah, he was putty in uh in Allie's hands. And my first note on it was Alaric douche. Well he was. I mean she was an asshole. Hold she lands more warm than that. Exactly. She comes in on her dragon by herself and he's alone to greet her. And he says, If you were expecting balls and masks and dances, you have come to the wrong place. And because women women have no texture to them at all, right? Well, That's exactly. It. Except the the woman that gave birth to my children. Otherwise, she was a Mormon of Bear Isle, and no lady by your lights. But she took an axe to a pack of wolves when she was twelve, killed two of them, and sewed a cloak from their skins. She gave me two strong sons as well, and a daughter as sweet to look upon as any of the southern ladies, which is really fun. I kind of was like, stop talking about your kid like that. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, we got hot girls up here too, right? Exactly. My daughter, she's young and she's a hottie. Yeah, she's a really good kisser too. Yeah, <laughs> he is so staunchly against her at the beginning of her visit, and she, you know, Alice, poor Allison's by there by herself. Jaharis can't come. She's annoyed. She's like, he had to stay home on business. That's so annoying. Now I have to go do this all by myself. And it says the longer the queen stayed, the more Lord Alaric warmed to her, and in time, Alison became to came to realize that not everything that was said of him was true. And she really helps the North. This is the first time that Jaehaerys and Alison spend time there in any of their visits of of the different lords and lands. And, and I feel like she made so many important moves while she was here she spends time at the wall she, the the men of the night's watch fall in love with her because she listens to them and she hears them out they're, they're she likes their stout yeah and she's like what you have just is fine. like the beer at white harbor by the way yeah she did good ale she's like what you have to feed me is fine and good like it's good enough for me i'm gonna listen to what you have to say a lot of these guys as she points out um it says there'd been some, some concern about how she might re- be received at castle black 
for many of the black brothers had been poor fellows and warrior sons before those orders were abolished. But they liked her, and she is able to help them build up their defenses. She's able to just pay attention to them when they haven't been paid attention to in a long time. She bestows additional land to the gift. She hears the women out in Molestown after much prodding. Yeah. She's like, there's got to be some girl yeah, here. Yeah, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk to him. She like elbows, uh, what's his name? I forget the Burley. Yeah. I think that was his name. Yeah. Lord Commander Burley or something right, which like is that. awesome. She needs to... Where, she's the, where like, the ladies at? It's like, I already know. Come on, you can tell me. She listened, she heard, and she won the eternal devotion of the men of the Night's Watch by her actions. It was just... It was cool to see her flex and... Do her my, thing. It's my second favorite part of the chapter. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. It was I, awesome. So much of what we've seen of her is in Jaharis's eyes or as a mother. Which, Dealing with bad stuff, yeah, too. And she was really stepping out. Right. Know? And those are all great and fine things and important things. But this was cool because, like you said, she got to step out. And while her husband was taking care of other important things, she also got to really throw her weight around and... Um, make some pretty hefty changes after her conversation at Molestown. I just, I really enjoyed the end of this chapter. I did too. I, it was so cool to get the, finally the, the written account of when I read it in Aswaf, when Bran and Hodor and Jojen and Mira were at Queen's Crown. I know. And we hear about Good Queen Ali San yeah. and the new gift. And like, yeah. this is a place that she stopped. Uh-huh. The last like, okay, hearth. Who's that? It's the last hearth. It's the last place before it gets less hearthy. It's the last home on the way up. It's like, oh, wow, this legendary person. I wonder what it was like for her. And it was just post the Solo White Harbor visit. Her man's got to stay back and do some actual, like, uh, I'm just boring business. I want to go out with you. but He's at the office. I'm at the office. You can handle this. And uh, Alaric's kind of a D-bag, you know? I mean, it's the seat of the North, and it's just a few people that be just like, you know, you know the vibe. Like, all right, we got to do this business really quick. No, no, no reception. No party planning was done. Just here it is. And uh, so human, you know, so personal. And for it to stay so human and so personal, when it, to us it was myth. It was legend. It was, it was really cool to read it for the first time. And I loved her getting shown the edge of the world at the top of the wall. I loved her travel along the wall to the night fort. I loved again to get hinted at that deep horror that is just slumbering inside of the night fort that we didn't get, didn't get full perspective in Aswath, but we got a nice sequence that scared the shit out of us. And we got to see uh, weird stuff underneath it. That was probably magic, right? Like word activated stuff right. that doesn't seem to make any sense, but it does make sense. Those are demons and magic is real. Uh, XOXO gospel girl. Like there's no other way that that there's snakes with hands with with faces and a door that's activated by sound that's not done by magic. I'm, I'm sticking she, to it. Well, and she tried to fly her dragon over the that wall. That too. You, and he yes. wouldn't go. Silverwing's it was the like, only nah. time that she was not able to control her dragon. And it really troubled her. It, it messed with her. Yeah. She like, tried multiple times. Three times, yeah. So again, you know. Well, skeptics may say the, the draft was too strong and dragons really like the heat. Skeptics she might knows. say it was just too cold. No, she knows. That's why it bugged her so much. 
because she felt it. And she was she was like, I was laughing on the way down because I wanted everyone to think it was yeah. okay. Yeah, can you imagine like what the vibe would be like if she seemed really unsettled? She was like, how come my dragon can't fly over the wall? Right. Maybe they would have looked for White Walkers a little bit faster. Well, that's, Were they grumpkins at the time? It made me think a lot about how that will play out in... Hell a yeah. and fire Dude, because I yes. was thinking about Daenerys and her dragons. Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to have an ice dragon? Maybe, but kind of that battle at that place. And if other dragons are going to be able to even be there, or if there is some other really powerful force that we either Do we don't need the horn? Yet know about, yeah, to be able to even participate in something there. Because right now the dragons are such a flex that Daenerys has. And yeah. If there is some place where they just can't go, but that's where the bad guys are, that's going to yeah, be a really the, interesting conflict. Or the bad guys are going to somehow get through a destroyed wall that was either done on purpose by someone who's bad, because it's not going to be by them, or on accident by someone who's stupid, like Iran or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many different or ways to look at warming. that. global warming. That just brings some of it down. Yeah, <laughs> if, it, if it weeps enough, if it turns into an all-out tear fest, phew, that wall's coming down and here come all the bad boys. Still that haven't was... seen one of their leaders yet, though. Or we still haven't seen any of their leaders yet. Mm-mm. So I hope, I don't know. I don't want to say I hope that that doesn't happen. But uh, I don't it really, just... I don't know what's good. I just know it can't be like a, a character on a TV show stepping out and winking at you. Right, with such a straight back. Oh, yeah. I thought you were popping your back. No, I, I, yeah, I've been doing that. <laughs> that but... is quite a straight back. I know. Can you imagine if I was like this all the time? No. It's wrong. I feel uncomfortable looking yeah, you at you feel doing uncomfortable. it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, Do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah. They recognize me. Man, watch the last that watch. is just, yeah, the last watch. Watch that. He is again. so psyched that he's got fans. He's like, let's go over there. I just, you know. <laughs> he holds up his hands. <laughs> right. They don't know who he is because he has so much makeup on it as the Night King. But when he, he lifts up his arms and people They're are like, like oh, wait, are you shit. the Night King? Oh, he's like, finally, I get some fans with me. Anyway, anyway I just I just found the particularly the dragon thing to be a little unsettling and would love to get more info on that or see that play out more or maybe people who are smarter than me have theories that you guys can tweet at us or write in about because I found that to be very interesting me too yeah I like the uh, I liked when she decided to build them a castle based from on money from money. her jewels because her she's like the night four is creepy and it's kind of a long trip and you're just the vibe is not right here let's do something else and she builds it she pays for it to be built with her own money and just a nice thing put put her money where her mouth is you know she she liked these people they're doing they're doing the lord's work up there they're doing god's work mm-hmm. so and help she's, them out she's, she's uh, rich. charming them with her stubborn with her stubborn charm so what a cool the trip was a good trip. It was a good it trip. It was a great trip. And it was... It, it, it was as magical as it seemed is all I'm trying to say. It started it, off really bad and it ended up really good. Jaharis almost messed it up at the end. He kind of came in and ruined the vibe because Alaric does not like him. Right. But all in all, it was... So as you're talking about kind of these warm feelings that you had as you ended the chapter, I felt like her whole time there and then going into kind of the 10-year anniversary of Jaharis's coronation... The vibes are very good at the end of this chapter. Yeah, they were. The 10-year anniversary feels like, man, it's crazy how that much time has passed. But also, he reigns for like a million years. Yeah, 
So we've got so a we've lot of episodes yeah. left. <laughs> We're going to be That was only 10 years. years. <laughs> we've only got a couple chapters of him, though, left because we do – it's 10 years in like 50-ish or like 55. I can't remember the date. But then we get Raina's death in 73. These chapters, the time the timeline is not coherent in – or not, it's coherent, but it's not, um, what's the word? Continuous is, mm. is the word. Yeah, I mean. yeah, it's good to <laughs> The timeline is not coherent. This is not a coherent timeline. No, it's not continuous. <laughs> and so I think that uh, sometimes I get a little confused about what is going on. But um, I want to read kind of a little bit about the coronation, some of these lines. And I think this last paragraph kind of sums up the celebration. And it basically talks about the party. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but... Um, Good Queen Alisanne gets to be the queen of love and beauty. The leaves and the trees had begun to turn russet and orange and gold, and the ladies of the court wore gowns to match. As the feast that followed the end of the tourney, Lord Rogar appeared with his children. Everybody comes. Wow. All, all of the friends are back. They made the journey. It was a time for warm embraces, for smiles, for toasts and reconciliations, for renewing old friendships and making new ones, for laughter and kisses. It was a good time, a golden autumn. A time of peace and plenty, but winter was coming. Dun dun dun. Oh, Rayella comes mm-hmm. too. She's the stuff that they bring. They bring. <laughs> yep. It's so nice. Uh-huh. There's so many nice things. We got Lannisters and Valerions and Tullys, and it's just nice. Uh, Alara Stark comes. She's uh-huh. going to stay down there now. Couple of the sons blushing. Came. She comes blushing to take up her new duties as lady in waiting to the queen. It's a long way to blush all the way down there. Right, I know. <laughs> She's the, like, when she gets there, she blushes. She's like, oh it's my such God. a beautiful end of the chapter. So I understand as we were reading that, as the sun was setting was over much, the river, man. it was too yeah, much. I feel really, really grateful that <laughs> it, it was that good. We forgot to mention the uh, the the benefit of her conversation with uh, with Allie's conversation with that young girl at Molestown during oh, the one first of her um, night. yeah during right. one of her women's courts was uh i mean take it away well i mean not to be political on the podcast it's really hard so we're reading this chapter of the day when Roe v. Wade gets overturned. And I'm not trying to make comparisons to any of these things and I'm not going to but it's very interesting to have listen to Alisan have these conversations and to try to make these changes um, in light of like a big news day too because you feel much closer to the conversation when it's literally happening around you in your day to day and she is for the first time like talks to the people of Molestown essentially woman to woman and she learns the queen the queen this nice lady she learns that more about the ride of the first night and she already know knew about it but she thought it was this kind of long gone practice that nobody really did anymore come to find out Jaharis is like it happens all the time yeah. this, this is a cool thing that happens to people <laughs> Do you, this is a nice thing that we get to spread dragon seed everywhere so you know what's the problem and <laughs> Allie's like the problem is nobody likes it like the girls don't like it yeah they don't have a good time and they don't see it as a blessing and it's not very nice my favorite line of this which also like kind of made me really annoyed with Jaharis it's like the first time I really didn't like him yeah is um let me find it because she says how would you feel if someone tried to take my virginity on our wedding night 
kill that person. He was like, I'd kill him. And she was like, well, and then he was like, but I'm not a blacksmith. Yeah. So that's not going to happen to me. I was like, that is so messed up that that's your perspective. It was, I hated him in that moment because I felt like that is the opposite of what you're supposed to do as a ruler. And it's the opposite of what we see him do. So often he seems to be like very level-headed and reconciling between people. But in this situation, he, it seems like he was out with the boys amped up on this historic right that they have which you know understandably given the world that they live in but Septon Barth comes to the rescue and basically continues to advocate on Alice's behalf and says you know I mean listen I loved when he says um so they're talking about you know the ride of the first night as this like cool, powerful men do this and it's really awesome and the dragon seed or whatever. Um, And he says, mayhaps that was so 10,000 years ago. Oh, the queen says, the queen says this, sorry. She says, mayhaps that was so 10,000 years ago, the queen replied, but the lords claiming the first night are now no heroes. You have not heard of the women, you have not heard the women speak of them. I have old men, fat men, cruel men, poxy boys, rapers, droolers, men covered with scabs, with scars, with boils, lords who have not washed in half a year, men with greasy hair and lice. These are your mighty men. I listened to the girls and none of them felt blessed. Is it nice to dunk on these guys? Not necessarily, but I just felt like. Fair. Fair. They don't like it. And so this is a really big step. And Septon Barth, um, it's right after this when Septon Barth says, if I may be so bold, she's right and we need to listen to what she has to say. And then Jaehaerys, to his credit, when Septon Barth had finished speaking, Jaehaerys Targaryen threw up his hands. I know when I am beaten. Very well. Let it be done. And so it came to pass that the second of what the small folk named Queen Alysanne's laws was enacted, the abolition of the Lord's ancient right to the first night. Henceforth, it was decreed the bride's maidenhead would only belong to her husband, whether joined before a septon or a heart tree, and any man, be a lord or a peasant, who took her on the wedding night or any other night would be guilty of the crime of rape. So, big deal. And like I said, hard not to uh, read that conversation kind of in light of, you know, 2022 politics, whatever you believe. And so... um it was very poignant and I was proud of Ali for standing up for something that was so wildly out of anybody's minds. For sure. It's just, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but get the, the right of the first night would fuck you up, dude. It's everyone messed. involved, everyone involved except the, the, the asshole Lord who takes advantage of it. And I've seen it depicted before and stuff. And it's just like so dark to see happen. They basically like kick down the door of a wedding and they're like, all right, now it's my turn. And like literally at the wedding. That's well, the vibe. Especially when you think about a lot of these girlies are at least supposed to be virgins on the night of their sure. wedding. Yeah. And so this is their first time. And it's some old man who has boils and scars and he's not washed in half a year. He's like, time to take what's my right and what belongs to me. It's That's like, the vibe of it. I've that seen is the depicted. vibe. Yeah, it's like too my bad. right. And he's like, like laughing about it the whole time. Yeah, and it's her, yeah. her magical wedding day to her little knight that she's so excited to marry. I know it's not always that romantic, but... But you got to go through this now. Yeah, it's so... It's ugh, fucked geez, up. Geez, it messes with me pretty hard. It's a fucked up thing, man. This world is... is it's a rough place like it's it's a rough place i mean we've gotten stuff like to some semi less chaotic level then i mean it gets better and better for some hopefully as the history goes on as we get further along with technology and comfort and stuff 
But uh, yeah, I mean, that was civil at one point. I know. And that, was, that really happened in this world. I know. And that was civil at one point. And if a child should come with the coupling, so much the better. The husband should, could then claim the honor of raising a hero's son as his own. Oh, yeah, a hero. <laughs> People, they use the word hero to, to make a lot of stuff make sense. Well, in to Legend, too. I mean, well, Jaharis and Alassane do it with the yeah, um, with their whole exceptionalism yeah. thing. And yeah. so the world is just like kind of a, you work for what works for you. Everybody does it. Yeah. But um, yeah. like you said, progress is progress either way. And so it was exciting to see. Just like Ali said in this chapter, I'm a good listener. And you have to listen to the small folk and the people who feel downtrodden. Yeah, that was the point they used to get it like sort of through Jaharis's head. They were like, this is actually a matter of the safety of the realm because this creates so much discord. It creates a discord between I – mean, I don't need to break it down because it's, it's in the book and, it, and it's all pretty obvious. But at every point that something like this is happening, there's a potential for people to get grudges that can grow into something larger and larger or at least at the very beginning of it like to have – People that are subjects to a liege lord that hate them and expand from there. The relationship between the man and the woman, the um, the whole like existential feeling as a woman coming up in the Seven Kingdoms of like knowing that it's like this for you. Right. It's just all a matter of safety for the realm. If you want to, if you need to be brass tacks for it to make sense to people, then morally, uh, I know like doesn't sway a lot of money uh, money deciders, a lot of power deciders. But like, hey. This could be. This could lead to chaos. Mm-hmm. This could lead to revolt in some way. At least small revolts that lead to a bad vibe. So chickity chickity, check yourself mm-hmm. before you ready to wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a high note to end the chapter on. Yep. But glad I. I glad you brought it up. Good ass chapter. We are the sleeping dragons, she says. When he goes, let sleeping dragons lie, she goes, we are the sleeping dragons. Yes. Like, yeah, boy. We're so powerful. Let's go to bed right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am not a blacksmith. Please. I, when, I'm a little bit more forgivable on that with him. And I might uh, turn out to be wrong. But like to me, it's like uh, he's saying like that's not how it turned out. So it's a different but conversation. that's not how it turned out for me. Well, like, I think it's that's so the selfish. point he's trying to make. She's like, what right. if it would? I mean, you're right. Because it was a usually it was it's like a useless thing to say because he can't argue with her. Is what right. I, I, don't, I didn't see it as like he is hanging out in the Hamptons and he's wearing Sperry's, you know? Yeah, but he is. Yeah, I mean, he dresses pretty. As we've seen, he, dress, he he's actually pretty subtle about. He has stuff. money to spare to like. She, True. his wife, can just but like. They've chosen really subtle and respectful things sure. to do, though. I don't so like. I don't that. think it's so no. cut and dry. Like I said, today is a day where it feels like a little more powerful to okay. me. And so, yeah, okay, <laughs> then like, go off, girl. Please <laughs> tell me more <laughs> he's about a how piece this. Of yeah, shit. <laughs> tell me more how this doesn't affect you, <laughs> so it doesn't matter to me. Anyway, should we go to our owns? There's so many, like you said, there's so many one-liners in this chapter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Man, there's so many. Let me just read this. This is long. I think my other ones are shorter. Here's an own. Septon Barr said it best. I, this is one of my favorite things. The power of the Targaryens derives from their dragons, those fearsome beasts who once laid waste to Harrenhal and destroyed two kings upon the field of fire. King Jaehaerys knows this, just as his grandsire Aegon did. 
the power is always there, and with it, the threat. His grace also grasps a truth, grasps a truth that Queen Reyna does not. However, the threat is most effective when left unspoken. The lords of the realm are proud men all, and little is gained by shaming them. And little is gained by shaming them. A wise king will always let them keep their dignity. Show them a dragon, I, they will remember. Speak openly of burning down their halls. Boast of how you fed your own kin to your dragons, and you will only inflame them and set their hearts against you. Well, finally got to explain to us what not to do. Well, I was going to say that's such a great um, banner for kind of Jaehaerys' whole thing. And this whole chapter kind of, like I was saying at the beginning, how his choices are so starkly different than Reyna exactly was that was exactly the paragraph I was thinking about we are the sleeping dragons it was good also wanted to just give an own to Alyssa Farman for having the right idea of it and sticking it through and maybe going to the same place that Brandon the built the ship builder went to the shipwright what are they calling I go looking for another thing <laughs> Balon Targaryen. Oh, I knew you were going to get your own to this. Uh, for being such a badass. For he, <laughs> this is how he gets the name Balon the Brave. Um, this is the uh, Aegon was, uh, sorry, Aemon was uh, practicing swords. I can relate. This is how it was when I was a kid. I, really, I would do that with my older brother. Like, oh, it's like, oh, you have this thing. Well, I'm going to have a stick version of it and like try to participate the same way. So sweet. And, uh, they were talking about Aemon's like fighting, being like less aggressive. Yeah. And it was like, but not so Balin, who reportedly smote Balerion on the snout the first time he entered the dragon pit. Like he's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that dragon. Right. That dragon. <laughs> what a visual. That's the only unbelievable thing in this chapter. Could you I was gonna say, could you really Everything to that, else though, makes as a sense. Kid? Yeah. <laughs> Everything else makes sense. That I never would do- have done that. No, no, definitely <laughs> not that part. Just being nice to your brother. I liked yeah. that. I, I was nice and they were nice to me for the most part. But uh, yeah, he's so big. The demons, I can believe that. The demon snakes, that's believable. I understand. Like a parasite. It's crazy. This kid didn't hit the dragon. On the <laughs> and come out alive. No way, dude. That was, that was such a great exchange about how they were all really close to each other. I thought that was really sweet. That whole sequence was nice. Um, I have two owns that I want to give. And the first is just a little taste of um, Allie talking about Daenerys and... What's his name? Aemon, Aemon. and Balin. Allie talking about Daenerys and Aemon and how Jaehaerys takes to Aemon because he's the next heir and so he's like yes oh, yeah. and Allie's like well Daenerys is older than him so she might be the one and he was like nah they'll rule together because they're going to get married that was such a great foreshadowing oh, to the conflict to come so I want something different from my little Danny yeah exactly <laughs> so that was like a cool little tease and then my next own is going to go to Raina rest in peace and her conversation with Lord Franklin Farman who she is in Fair Isle which we touched on briefly um they're talking about kind of where her daughter is and um he said she's Raina's trying to find out where she is and 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 franklin says if she turns up here we shall see her off just as we did her mother and he says you do not know area 
That much is true, her grace responded. If she does indeed find her way to these shores, my lord, you may find she is not as forbearing as her mother. Oh, and I wish you luck if you should try to, quote, see off the black dread. Balerion quite enjoyed your brother. By now he may desire another course. After Fair Isle, they lose track of Rana Targaryen. I just, what a great jab. Man, we spent so much of the last episode talking about Andro. I just, you know. I, I know. You remember him, for uh-huh. one. Yeah. <laughs> and his name. Right. So. I know. I, like, it really am lot. stuck You're on like, him. You know, Andro's family, they were there visiting in Fairlight. Shut up. <laughs> it's funny. It was, it, was, it was a good little caper, you know, a good little bottle, little bottle episode inside of a chapter. Um, also, that random moment where Ali San was like, what about getting married? She's mm-hmm. been marrying a lot of people this chapter. And she was like, uh-huh. <laughs> nah, I think I would eat that my husband, my last person, the last husband I had uh, got ate by my dragon. I think I would just eat my next husband. Foreshadowing? Who knows? Maybe the Targaryens mm-hmm. are cannibals. Ooh. Find out next week on Game of Owns. Next, we've got a couple owns from Twitter. Why don't you do the first and then... Because then you can read the Insta-own. Okay. Here we go. From Sexual Jazz Chase on Twitter. Own to the good queen and the ladies of Molestown for changing the realm forever. Yes, sir. Next we got Straight Savage Cole on Twitter, who has quite a bit of things to say, which we love. He says, another long chapter... With plenty of depth, that one own doesn't seem right. Amen to that. My main own for this chapter goes to Queen Alisanne and for persuading King Jaehaerys to add on a new gift to Brandon's gift and for being so progressive by also persuading for him to abolish the Knight of the First Right. Secondary own, Randa's smack talk in this chapter. We are on the same wavelength. First to Lord Franklin Farman and later to her sister Queen Alisanne. Brutal and brutal with the tongue she is kind of gives me Cersei vibes. Another owned a Septon Barth for recounting the horrors that befell Princess Aria on her trip with Bear or Balerion, who was also injured. Not an own, but how cool do the dragon keepers sound? We didn't even talk about them. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to hopefully hearing more about them. I'd be remiss if I didn't give another own to the sealer from Bravos who casually mentions the faceless man and his threat of Septon Barth, which made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Lastly, not an own, but when King Jaehaerys mentions his plans for a series of drains and sewers that made me think of Tyrion and his job at Casterly Rock. Hell yeah. That's cool. On Twitter, Charlie Gibby. Sort of an own, but we feel you. You know the vibe. What the hell happened to Princess Aria? <laughs> I don't know. Good question. Part of me feels like Benefer might have also not wanted to write about it because that's where the Targaryens are from. Mm. And they're similar creatures. As their dragons. And it's like, maybe it's all good. Like, maybe there's some, like, deep darkness that's at the bottom of all this. Oh, I'm sure. Might create some discord. I'm sure. Might break that exceptionalism. I'm sure. Are you? (laughs) There's something dark there, but. Yeah. I mean, and the dragons are dark, but, like, so can my dog be. And so can I So can us, But good vibes, you know, hopefully keep us all together in a fun way. If you want to send in your own or if you have other thoughts about this chapter or the next chapter that we're going to read. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. You can email us, um, contact at gameofbones.com. Find us in Game of Bones on social media platforms. Um, we have gone over time. So we're going to, and by time I mean the time that we are able to record right now. So Because the grocery store is closing and right. we're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to 
uh, I guess start out the next episode if we can remember to do it at the top again. I it, it depends on how good the next chapter is. We shall see. To talk about um, George's new blog post, Snow dot dot dot, and other stuff, where he does confirm that the John Snow uh, TV show might be happening. It's real. It's real, <laughs> and I'm really stoked about it. And I'm glad that he seems to be too. And I, it's like I said before, more awesome stuff. Let's see what happens. Speaking of George, though, Mm -hmm. we are going to interview him in just a few short weeks. (sighs) In the next couple of weeks, we are going to be in Santa Fe and we're going to have an opportunity to record with him. So we're going to sit down with him on the podcast. And if you have anything you want us to bring up or talk about, we would love your input and feedback. So you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. Put George on the subject line, and we'll compile our thoughts for that episode. Yeah, like Hannah said, we're we're going back to Santa Fe in a couple of weeks to sit down with George, and we're looking for any input that you might have inside of your brain. Um, I think there's an obvious question that everyone wants answered, so you can bet that it's someone's going to ask it, so you don't have to ask that question necessarily. <laughs> We've also been told not to ask that question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> Which we probably still are. But um, anything that's on your mind that you might want to be spoken about with George, um, we might not be able to do any of it or all of it um, based on how the conversation actually goes because we're going to be talking to him like this. But we, we would be a missed, oppor- missed opportunity not to put the uh, opportunity out there for you guys to put your ideas in our head this before is we our go to thing. Santa Fe. This is our thing as a as a listener, as you and me. And so I really want... Yeah, it's everybody's thing. Uh, yeah, I yeah, really I'm want... so freaking excited yeah, and like wait. grateful and like happy about this whole situation. And uh, it's going to happen in just a couple weeks. And this is a really exciting time to talk to him because there's a lot happening with House of the Dragon, with his new book coming out hopefully soon, uh, with uh, this new insane like sequel to Game of Thrones that's specific to Jon Snow. I mean, it's a really crazy time to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire with the person who's written everything that we're talking about today. So if you have anything in your head... Um, just Deadline. tell us what, just tell us what you're thinking and, you know, it'll be just nice to know before we head into the dragon's den again, what you all are thinking. Deadline is 4th of July. So keep that in your so mind. So America, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next time on the podcast, we are continuing in Fire and Blood and the next chapter is The Long Reign, Jaehaerys and Alysanne, Policy, Progeny, and pain. The three Ps. Let's get into it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks, Hannah. High five. We'll catch you on the flippity flop. <laughs> <laughs>